This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. I don't know where you were when you first heard about God First Church. Uh, I was with Howard and Ben. We're in Chicago. It sounds very exotic. And uh, we were uh, Howard and Ben. I don't know if I was caught up in something. Uh, They were just talking about this church called God First that Howard was going to be caught up in and thinking that all through the very, very early days. I knew it was exciting. And I was delighted when Howard somehow drew me into the conversation, so maybe Sean could just be around. I'd had a history with Howard. I can remember the first time I preached with you in, you know, Hester's Way Community Centre. Do you remember that strange L-shaped room? You had to stand in the right place to make sure you could see everyone. I can remember going to the Pates Grammar School, preaching there. Uh, first of all, in that great big hall, and then the drama centre, and then you were skipping between the two. I can remember walking around Cheltenham with Howard yes. and, and him saying to me, Sean, we've got to get more central. The call of God upon our church uh, is not to be in the outskirts, but we feel God has called us to reach this. And geography matters. And I remember going around to all numbers of buildings with Howard. And when I first preached here at the Parabola Arts Centre, just the excitement, the delight. Uh, and somehow it's opened up uh, a new area for you as a church. I can remember as a trustee sitting with Howard and watching your finances grow and if you've been around for a few years you know you had a significant wobble some time ago. Myself and Jonathan just trying to hold the line on that and long conversations with Howard around uh, him being shored up and being confident to believe God through difficult season and that brilliant offering that you had. I don't know if you remember that and your incredible generosity and faith and what that produced within all of you. I've had multiple phone calls with Howard and I'm just delighted that today I'm part of recognising what you recognise, what you have set apart Howard to do, to be an elder of this local church. I'm delighted to be here. I'm delighted having gotten to know them as couples. A few years ago, Naomi and I ran the Reading Half marathon together. She was incredibly unwell on the day and yet still did a really great time. I've gotten to know Tom and Lucy over the years. Lucy handles your finances so we've had conversations around that and just talking to her, her affection for you and for one another was outstanding and Tom, you know, his stature, I mean he comes in through him and is commanding to see him growing spiritually. Uh, knowing his brother before I met Tom and just realising, man, what an incredible sons they are in God. It's just been great. And uh, uh, in the summer at Newdown, beginning to know Andy and Vic, uh, just an incredible passion, zeal, straightforwardness to see uh, Vic's gifting kind of emerging and growing. It's just been exciting. I, I just, so honestly, deep in my heart, I'm just delighted to be part of today to recognise these three guys as the first elders and pastors, the founding elders and pastors of God 
first. Yes, we're believing for the first of many more to come, but these brilliant leadership couples that have come to serve you, to serve the town of Reading, to bring the gospel to Cheltenham and beyond. But just to state the obvious, we're going to spend a little bit of time today, just probably about 25 minutes or so, looking at the Bible uh, Howard uh, lifted up early up saying, this is really the plumb line of all that we're trying to do. Jesus has revealed himself and his purposes and patterns for church life in the Bible. And we're going to be looking at that over the next 25 or so meetings. And when I talk about elders, uh, elders, pastors, overseer, really the Bible in the New Testament uses those words interchangeably. So maybe if you've been around church before, you're more familiar with the term pastor or overseer or elder. But really we're using those terms interchangeably as they often did in the book of Acts. And this morning, I just want to start just primarily just telling you about the pattern of church life. And talk about the pattern and then the process and then the purpose, a bit of alliteration. I don't know if it's helpful or not. But I thought that's what we do. So, in a few moments, we're going to be looking at Acts 14, verse 21 to 23. And that will go up on the screen behind me. But I'm going to pray first of all one more time. Holy Spirit, would you come now and quicken all of our hearts, that when the Bible is read to us, that you would bring illumination to us. Come Holy Spirit, quicken us now. Let our hearts be tender. Help me to think clearly. Would you anoint me now? Help me to finish my sentences and to communicate clearly, to have the anointing of God upon me now for every heart here. Pray for our children too and the children's workers. Come Holy Spirit, quicken them, stir them. Let them be caught up in the purposes of God to bring the kingdom wherever they find themselves. In Jesus' mighty name. I just, I'm aware that we've gathered people from right across Cheltenham and the nation, I'm guessing, and you've had different backgrounds. Maybe you're not really sure what's going on this morning. Are they they becoming vicars or ministers? What's really going on? I just want to say there's a pattern in the Bible about how churches are established, how they go from there's nothing, everyone's pagans. The good news is proclaimed, communities are established, then elders are appointed and they become churches in their own right. Because throughout the book of Acts, the good news of Jesus Christ is preached and people do turn to Jesus. Disciples are made, new communities are established. And we're going to look at one such in Acts 14 verse 21 to 23. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch of Pisidon, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships. Just to remind you, we're going to suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. About 2,000 odd years ago, sometime about AD 46, there was a prayer meeting in what we would call modern day Turkey. And this prayer meeting was outstanding because one of the outcomes of that is the Holy Spirit spoke. The Holy Spirit is still speaking into church life today. And we must have an expectation of that when we gather with God's people. But the Holy Spirit spoke in such a clear way, in an audible way, in a way that was compelling that they actually acted upon it. Can you imagine that? Acting upon what the Holy Spirit says. They acted upon it and they set apart Paul and Barnabas 
for the work that they had been called to. So they responded, they were set apart, they went and they preached God's word boldly. And God confirmed, would partner with God, confirmed their message with miraculous signs and wonders. People were healed. We've got to hear that again. People were healed. Others got upset and they got angry and they rejected the message of Jesus. That's all part of bringing the kingdom of God. Some are healed, they embrace it, others reject it, want nothing to do with it, hugely animated. And yet large numbers of peoples turned to Christ and believed in him. And this was repeated. We want to hear this. We need to hear this. It was repeated town after town, city after city, region after region. It seems there was no hard areas in that regard. And Paul and Barnabas decided at some point to return the way they came to strengthen these new disciples because the church of Jesus Christ was being established. Now, these new believers needed to be strengthened and encouraged in their faith. They needed to be reminded, they needed to be reminded that we will suffer many hardships, that that is normal in Christian life for those who follow Jesus. But Barnabas and Paul, they did more than just grow fresh faith or fresh wind into their sails of faith. Actually, they set elders apart in every church that they went through. They went in amongst them. Yes, they strengthened them. Yes, they reminded them. And then they set elders apart for them. Now, these elders were both local and plural. So they were local in that they came to a church and said, okay, you're an established community of believers. We want to blow wind into yourselves to remind you of the good news of Jesus Christ, to strengthen you, comfort you, let you know that suffering is normal in the Christian life. And we're going to choose people from within your congregation, people you know. People known to you. We're not going to point people on you. You've got no relationship off. These are people that you know. You know their families. You know how they work. You know if you're good for their words. These people were local people amongst them. But they were also plural. Not one pastor for one church. Not one guy at the top is now going to be leading this church. But actually it was plural as well as local. There was to be a team of elders to care for the church. These elders were to govern and care for Christ's sheep by tending them and tenderly teaching them diligently. And two is good, three is better. With prayer and fasting, Barnabas and Paul. With prayer and fasting, I don't know, I'm not asked if you've done that this week, but certainly here, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the care of Jesus to whom they have put their trust. And on first reading, if we're honest, if it's a pagan society, it feels like a very risky strategy. This embryonic, fledgling church that needed encouraging and strengthening because of what they're having to endure, it seemed like a risky strategy, given that they are relatively new converts. And there was no easy way of tracking their progress. There was no church app just to check in for them. They were literally weeks apart from a communication point of view. But it's Barnabas and Saul had a strong conviction that the church belonged to Jesus and that Jesus could be trusted to look after his own people. And so there was this pattern established 
Uh, the apostles went through, preached the good news of Jesus, uh, disciples uh, came through, and then they would go. And then they would return. They'd encourage. And they'd remind people of the good news of Jesus. They'd appoint elders, and then they'd go. Because there was a world mission. There was something about bringing the good news of Jesus that was normal in that context. There was a fluidity, a mobility that was going on in that place. And I find it really curious that you as a church, at such a time as this, at this moment in time, elders are appointed when PJ Smythe, an apostle who preached here just a few weeks ago, in the summer, in June, at that very time when PJ whose movement is about planting and strengthening church, you come through. I find that remarkable. And I want you to see that. Because when you look at PJ's gifting and strength, he's an apostle. He's not going to camp out with you for a few years. He's going to go. He's going to come. And he's going to breathe faith into you. And you have the good news of Jesus. When he finished preaching, you're all going to feel a few inches taller. And you're going to walk out honestly believing you're going to change the world for Jesus. And you're going to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and you're going to see people saved. And you're going to be discouraged and not back, and people are going to reject you. And then PJ's going to turn up again, and you'll be encouraged and strengthened. And now he's appointed elders, he's met with the team. It's a remarkable. I want you to know the season you're in. You are moving from a church plant where there's people around you, tending you, nurturing you. But now, You've been turned over to the care of your elders and they in turn have been turned over to the care of the Lord. And do you know what? Jesus is good at looking after his own. He is a good shepherd. More of that later. It is sufficient for him. Hey, the pattern, what you've been caught up in is remarkable. This calling upon you as a church with a heart for church planting. I know something of Howard and Andy's hearts. don't know Tom quite so well on church planting, but it's remarkable. I want you to see that. I want you to have that within you on such a time as this. This is good news, friends. And it will get bumpy. And it will be costly. But the kingdom is coming through churches being established. That pattern is clearly there. And it's important that you see that at such a time as this. But there is a process in this of establishing elders. So whilst Acts 14 gives little indication how this was appointed, other than there was this laying on of hands that went on. Elsewhere, Paul writes about the process, and we've seen something of that played out this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 to 7 says this. But to do this, can I have uh, uh, Andy and Howard, where's Tom? If you come and stand, if you can come both of you, just sit here, 1, 2, 3, that would be great. Now, I'm hoping over the past few weeks you have tested these men, hopefully months. For some of you, years you've been watching them. This is the qualification for a pastor, an elder, an overseer from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through to 7. Now, as I read these out, they will come up behind me. Just look at these men. Because we're serious about this. The church of Jesus needs to be world-led against you know, biblical qualifications that are clear. It says here, so an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control. He must live wisely and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome. 
and not love money. Sobering, isn't it? Suddenly you've got three guys ahead of you and I'm hoping you've biblically tested them against this criteria. This is serious stuff. They're going to be shepherds of, church, of God's church. goes on to say, he must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. Now that's a real challenge we've got little ones. Yeah, it's, it's a little easier for Andy than for me. <laughs> <laughs> for if a man cannot manage his own household... How can he take care of God's church? I mean, some of this stuff, it's uncomfortable reading. When you set yourself up to be investigated, measured against these, it, it humbles you. Who am I to put myself forward, to feel the call of God upon my life? The Bible says, he who desires to be an overseer desires a noble task. I'm hoping there's men in this room, even now, thinking, one day for me. One day, I, I want to fulfil this. And we're not saying perfectly. This is what the Bible says. An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Now, Paul wrote this to Timothy, his young assistant who was looking after the troubled church in Ephesus. This church in Ephesus, it was growing, but it was plagued with false teaching. And the remedy to false teaching was to appoint qualified elders and deacons. You see, Paul insists that prospective elders and deacons, to a degree, be publicly examined in the light of these stated qualifications. And by stating such a list, he empowers the local church, to not only be guided in their selection, and hopefully these lists have helped guide you in your selection, but also to hold these elders to account as to their qualifications to lead you. It's it's not over now. They've somehow got this qualification and they can now leave that behind. If you've got any qualifications, often once you've got it, you never use it again. Not so with the elders of God's church. Can you imagine these three guys, they've got a hobby, and their hobby is making cars as hobbyists at home. Scary thought, I know. And they decide to go to the mini factory in Oxford, and they want to get a job because they want to play with the big toys. And they are able, in the interview panel, to be able to demonstrate the exact list of all the part components of a car, because it's the car that they built at home. They know the list. They've used those parts when they built their own car. And they get the job on the basis of that. But we all know that list of parts for a car isn't just that you know that list, but actually you build every car with that list. In the same way, these men before you are qualified by keeping this list, yes, but they must make sure they build using this list all the time. That they always love being hospitable and leading their families well. That this bar isn't something they crossed once and then lost their way on, brothers. But it's your starting point that we move from that. And yes, we will fail, of course. Our wives will remind us often. (laughs) But we then hide ourselves in Christ, admit ourselves. And here's why this is important. That the pastors, the shepherds, the elders, the overseers don't just cross this line once and be qualified to lead, but build from that and ensure they move forward on that. 
Because people are like sheep. Elders have an extraordinarily powerful impact on those who follow them. And it's really unnerving. But it is true. Because if elders have a contentious spirit, so will the people. It's just how it goes. If elders are inhospitable, the people will be unfriendly and cold. One of your hallmarks at the moment is that you are a friendly people. You are warm and welcoming. Because that is a hallmark of these men. And their wives, these leadership couples. If the elders do not faithfully hold to the authority of the Bible, the people won't either. If you are casual, brothers, with this book, the authority of this book, so will these beloved people of God. It's sobering. Paul wanted these local churches to be spiritually fit. So he ensured her leadership was spiritually fit to endure the rigours and hardships that is to come. There will be great suffering. These qualifications protect the church from the incompetent, from the morally unfit. The people are simply deluded with their sense of leadership aspirations. And the evildoers, the wolves that are out to attack and devour the flock. Guys, each day you need to clock in to these qualifications and you need to build against these qualifications. This is the quality control that the church needs you to hold and you hold one another to account, knowing the grace and favour of Jesus Christ. As you're able to teach, you'll have no problem working out grace and human effort. Please, can you give these men another round of applause and turn their seats? The last thing I want to say, we've looked at the pattern and why that's important for you as a church. We've looked at uh, the process of selecting elders and then holding them to account to those qualities because they will reproduce who they are. Finally, I want to talk about the purpose of appointing elders. In the week, I watched The Last Kingdom, which depicts when the Vikings attacked Saxon Britain. Did anyone else see that? Just me. I said to my wife, I really enjoyed it. There's no sex. And my wife said, yes, but it was incredibly violent. Why didn't that catch you out? But one of the things I really liked about it, there's no sex. But I realised the Vikings were just going to come and take from the Saxons with no regard for human life. No regard for their kingdom, no regard for their family, no regard for their aspirations of the Saxons. They just came and took what they wanted. And it was brutal. And there's a reality to our enemy that we have as the people of God that is so played out in the kind of parallel world of the last kingdom. You see, Paul said this when he said his final goodbye to the Ephesian elders, the ones presumably Timothy had appointed against the criteria we've just looked at. Paul summed it up as this, Acts 20, verses 28 to 29. This is what Paul said to these (coughs) Ephesian elders recently appointed, I'm guessing, So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, 
purchased with his own blood. You are purchased by the blood of Jesus. Never underplay that or forget that. You were bought at a cost, washed by his blood. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Just as the Vikings came in and took what they wanted, devoured and killed, had no regard for that kingdom, so too will wolves, will the enemy, rush in and want to destroy the work of God here because he hates you, because he hates God. You have an enemy. An elder shepherd the church of the living God. They are not managers of the church. You are called to preach and teach the whole counsel of God, including the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are to be doctrinally sound leaders. Doctrinally sound. Able to defend and teach the word of God. Elders are to care for the sheep of their flock. They're supposed to be personally involved with the needy and the helpless. They're not just to hang out with the strong who quickly come to the heed of the shepherd. An elder must be characterised by hard work, by generosity and a life of service to others. Elders are to be spiritually alert and constantly warning the congregations about the subtle false teachings the subtle values that just creep in to church life. The access to the internet that you have just exposes you to teaching from people you know nothing about their families. You know nothing about their personal life. And you feed from them. You know nothing about them. You've not tested them, and yet they shape your thinking and your value systems. The kind of purpose Paul has in mind is for elders is to guard and feed and lead and care for God's flock. In Reading, we sum this up by talking about the four Ds of eldership. We talk about elders think about the direction of the church, thinking about the doctrine that the church holds to. We talk about discipline to win people back who've lost their way or straying from the Good Shepherd. And to display, to give a reflection of the one great shepherd. You see, it is this display I want to. The purpose of eldering is not just to guard, but it's, it's sort of display who Christ is. For they are simply under-shepherds of the good shepherd, Jesus. See, no single elder could ever begin to display the wisdom and the glory and the beauty of Jesus. No one person could ever do that. It's ridiculous. You need a team of united under-shepherds with their diversity of gifts to begin to display something of the glory of the one good shepherd, Jesus. So between Howard and Tom and Andy, Jesus the good shepherd will care for and guide his precious blood-bought people. So Paul concludes his farewell address to the Ephesian elders by commending them to God and to the word of his grace, verse 32. The apostle had complete confidence in God and his word to keep his co-labourers safe and to keep safe the sheep in their charge. So too, we're to be confident 
that Jesus is building his church and his systems, his people, his shepherds, his sheep will be kept safe by him. It's worth reminding ourselves right at this very end, as Howard said at the beginning, Jesus is the head of the church. It's not the eldership team. Jesus has given gifts of grace to each as he saw fit. It was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, like PJ that you've been brilliantly caught up in, prophets, pastors, teachers and evangelists. You've been given, PJ, to strengthen you. He's been amongst you. He's met these couples who are leading you. He's sent you a video greeting and his lips don't even sink. I don't know how he does that. And Jesus has raised up these three brilliant leadership couples. Howard and Nays, Tom and Lucy and Andy and Vicky. And I want to make a comment about how these couples, these husbands and wives, these men and females will be leading. See, the Bible teaches that headship is a role that Jesus had given to husbands to mirror his relationship with the church. As it goes with the family, so it goes in the church. Husbands are the head of their wives as Jesus is the head of the church, Ephesians 5, verse 22. But leadership is a gift that Jesus gives to both male and females. It is a gift that both sexes should play out in, in terms of church life. If you have been given the gift of leadership, Priscilla and Aquila had to address the shortfall of the great apostle Apollos, because his preaching, despite his thorough knowledge of scripture, was deficient. He needed help. And it seems, the way the scripture writes, that Priscilla helped him more than her husband, Aquila, in that. Lydia, the businesswoman, opened up her home to Paul, Acts 16. And then there's Phoebe, this itinerant deacon of Romans 16. When she went to the church in Rome, they were commanded by Paul himself to give her all the help that she needs. For she has been a great help to many people, including me, writes the Apostle Paul. These gifts of leadership of given to male and females must be put into play. Speaking of which, I love the roll call of Roman 16. The Apostle Paul writes to this church in Rome and knows many of them personally. And he commends them, men and women, to Tromphena and Trophisa, were women with a reputation of working hard in the Lord. I'm not sure what that means, but get a commendation from the Apostle Paul for working hard is right up there. These great women, not just Phoebe, not just Lydia, these others who he said, I highly value these gifts in play. Then there's Mary. Mary who worked very hard for you. Every church needs lots of Marys. Women who just known for their hard work. Leadership is a gift that Jesus gives to both male and females and both must come into play. And one of the many things I love about these leadership couples is they figured lots of this stuff out and now there's room for them to grow into that. And that room has to be extended right across the church that men and women can be called into all that God has for you yes. as you work that out. Two more things to quickly say. Can I give you some advice to look how to deal with and get the best out of these leadership couples? First, look them square in the eye. And when you do that, silently, or if you're brave enough, say it publicly. Say, I love you, and I'm going to think the best of you. Just set your love upon them. It's a choice. Love is a choice, not an emotion. Set your love upon them. Encourage them. Honour them. 
both when they succeed and when they fail and mess up. Think the best of them, even when you don't think they're thinking the best of you. Take the initiative. Mind the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you're able to say to them, I'm going to think the best of you. And then everyone will win. God first challenged them, you have been caught up in a much bigger thing than you ever realised. For such a time as this, you've gone from being a church plant and the care of this church has been turned over to local elders who in turn have been turned over to the care of the Lord. For such a time as this, men have been raised up who you can, uh, in one sense, keep testing. They're qualified to lead you. And as you follow them and their wives, fruitfulness will be raised up within you. And the purpose of eldership, governance, is that this church will prevail with clear gospel teaching. So there's one last thing I've got to do before I land this. It may be you're here this morning and you aren't yet following Jesus. You're not really sure about most of the things that I've said. It's not made much sense to you at all. But there is one thing I do want you to hear this morning. Is that Jesus Christ is worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your ambitions. He's worthy of giving your life over to him. And he makes a demand upon you this morning that you would turn your life around and turn to him and hope in him and confess to him that he in turn would then put his arms around you and lead you to his heavenly father through your faith in him. And I'm just hoping, I'm just hoping, I don't know if you're here, I'm just hoping there's at least one person here this morning who hasn't yet put their faith in Jesus Christ. And even now, your heart is beating wildly. And I'd love for you to respond to the good news of Jesus, if at the very least, just sitting down and talking to me at the end of this meeting. So if that is you, very easily, I want you to quickly wave me and I'm going to find you at the end of this meeting. Is there anyone, before we move on, is there anyone you just want to talk to me about how you can get to know and put your faith in Jesus? This is a good time not to scratch your nose accidentally. Is there anyone here now, if you just want to have a chat with me at the end about who Jesus is? I can't see anyone just yet. I just don't want you to miss this opportunity end of this meeting. You've come along. Is there anyone now before we move on? Well, I'm going to pray then. I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God arrests you as a church, that the call of God upon your life would increasingly grow, that as a church, this would be a beginning, not just of a plateau, but a change of gear in the name of Jesus. The beginning of many men and women laying hold of the kingdom of God for the glory of God that the good news of Jesus would be preached in Cheltenham and beyond. That people would be healed and saved. Disciples would be made. You'd be encouraged and strengthened. And I'm believing that other churches are going to come from you. Right from these early days. You've been caught up in a stream with PJ. They are going to plant churches. I'm believing there's going to be at least one church out of you guys. I don't know the timing. I don't know the characters. I'm believing that. 
And I want you to believe in that in this new season. So Holy Spirit, I'm so delighted for all that you are doing amongst the people of God here. And Holy Spirit, we want to keep asking you to keep building up people now. I pray, Holy Spirit, even now for gifts of faith to go, to build, to proclaim, to believe. I want to pray this church would grow from strength to strength. I pray this balcony would be filled. I pray for other mornings where deacons and elders are put in place here. I want to pray for teams to be sent to go to other places. I pray that this platform would receive men and women uh, who are being prayed for and commissioned to go to the nation and the nations. I pray, oh God, for a mighty church to be raised up here even now. I want to pray that these are just the first fruits of the coming years. I pray for many to be saved, many to be made disciples, many to be sent. We pray, oh God, come now, Holy Spirit. If you know, some of the things I've prayed for, you know you're resonating with them. You know it, you know it. You know there's more, more of God for you. You can just put your hands up just where you're sitting now. We don't be passive. If you know God is speaking to you, even now, you can feel his spirit resting upon you. Just put out your hands. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Soften hearts. Come on, I know there's more. I know there's more than just a few people. Just a few of you got your hands up. Come on. Holy Spirit. Stir hearts even now. Quicken hearts even now. Quicken hearts. Appetite for you. Come Holy Spirit. Pray for an anointing of faith in this place. To believe the call of God. To believe again. Come Holy Spirit. Come and strengthen. Come and give gifts even now. Gifts of faith. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. heritage they have in Ben thank you so much that you have worked all things together for good for those who love you and we want to pray for more of your kingdom here in Jesus name Amen Amen